all the American kids were talking about how amazing Indian food was. And my son and his friends made this crack about how, yeah, oh, sure, it's overrated. And I asked him, wait, do you feel that way? I felt really awful. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, a weekly podcast about stories, the personal narrative kind, and the people that craft and tell them. Each week, a storyteller will tell one of their stories and then break it down with me, Sean. Why? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their gritty stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable and hopefully more memorable stories, true stories, personal stories, yes, grit stories. This week, on episode number 23, I welcome Chandre Lahiri. Chandre lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm not sure where Chandre and I first met, but it was last year sometime. It may have been at one of my events, it may have been one of her events, I'm not sure. What I do know is she's a great storyteller, a really cool person with really cool hair. She's also part of Voices. It's a storytelling show produced by the theater group Off Kendrick up in New England. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Voices is modeled after the storytelling show The Moth. It brings to light the first person true experiences of South Asian immigrants. And the story Chandre is telling today on Grit is a first person South Asian true experience. So our show today, you're going to hear Chandra's story. It's only four minutes, but it's packed. And then she and I are going to break it down. Remember, we could use some love by letting people know about this podcast. And if you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing, check the show notes for other information like events and classes. Okay. Once again, Chandra's story. Let's dive in. So... (laughs) I overheard my 14-year-old talking to his friends on Discord, which is where all the kids hang out these days. It's some sort of server, chat room thingy where they type and they talk. And I was in the kitchen making myself a cup of coffee and he was in the next door. And what caught my attention is when he said, "Ugh, doll is so overrated. And I froze in mid mid tea making because dal is the Indian lentil curry that is quintessential like it's the basic part of every Indian meal and he loves it but I didn't say anything because he's a teenager and I need to you know respect his boundaries but I couldn't help myself that night at dinner I very casually as if it didn't matter kind of dropped uh, a comment about oh oh did I hear you say something about dal being overrated And long story short, he tells me that apparently in this group of friends are a couple of Indian kids. And all the American kids were talking about how amazing Indian food was. And my son and his friends made this crack about how, yeah, oh, sure, it's overrated. And I asked him, wait, do you feel that way? I felt really awful because I try to cook food that is American and that's Indian because he's both those things, right? I mean, I'm Indian, but he's an American kid growing up in America. And I felt awful thinking maybe I've given him too much Indian food. And he saw the look on my face and he said, oh, no, 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 mom. It's like, I, I do like dal. It's just, I don't want Indian food all the time. 
anyway, so that was that. He probably didn't give it another thought. But we are now on Friday. I think all this happened on Thursday. And you know how your fridge looks on Friday? There's nothing left in it. There's like dregs. There's nothing. And if you don't want to eat takeout again, you're scraping up the bits and pieces and trying to turn it into a meal. So I'm standing in front of the open fridge. It's been a hell of a week. My mind is just shot. I have zero brain cells left. All I have to work with is half an onion, a few shreds of chicken left from a rotisserie chicken that we bought at the beginning of the week, and this very sad, wrinkled-looking carrot that's drawing, rolling around by itself in the vegetable drawer. Now, usually, if I look at ingredients like this, what would pop into my head would be chicken partha, which is this amazing shredded chicken uh, dish from India. But I found myself catching, stopping myself. I wasn't going to make chicken bartha because we just had that conversation and dal is overrated. And I thought, I found myself thinking on my feet, like, what can I make? This poor kid, he's being so sweet, but I don't want him to have Indian food all the time. And so the first thing that popped into my head was chicken pot pie. That's pretty darn American and he loves it. And so I start rummaging around because in my world, you don't make chicken pot pie without a mirepoix, which is carrots, onion, and celery. I had the sad looking carrot, carrot and half an onion. There was no celery for love or money. And I found myself thinking, well, you know, chicken pot pie without celery is like having, I don't know, it's like having a curry without, uh, without Bengali five spice. And Bengali five spice is not Bengali five spice without randhuni. And you know how your head goes off in all these tangents? I'm thinking along these lines and something shifts in my head and I'm thinking, wait, randhuni, that's the Bengali word. What's the English for it? It's the seed of something, cabbage, carrot, and it clicks. And I dive into my spice closet and I whip up a chicken pot pie from those sad little scraps. And that night at dinner, my son takes a bite and he actually stands up with his hands in his hair and he yells, what did you put in this? And at first I'm taken aback because I thought I really made a hash of it. And he says, this is the best pot pie I've had in my life. And he really wants to know because he's interested in cooking a little bit. And I just start laughing. And I have not yet told him that the secret ingredient in that pot pie was randhuni, which is Bengali for, wait for it, celery seed. And in my head, I just thought, you know, overrate that, my friend. the story to talk about how you can flip it. So as a demo, I do a one minute, one and a half minute version where here I started with me overhearing him, right? Mm -hmm. I can start from the end. My son stood up with his hands in his mm -hmm. hair going, oh my God, what did you put in it? Mm -hmm. And I didn't say anything, but I was thinking back to what happened yesterday. Sure. And I overheard. Yeah. All right. So if people are hearing this and they are, maybe they're new to storytelling or they're trying to figure it out. So there's a good starting point. You've got this story. You created the story and you decide where it starts. That of course, right? Where it ends. And you're saying you can have several different versions of it with a, at least two. 
when I talk about this to help people who are new first time storytellers, I, I say it in the two different ways, just to say that, you know, in creating what I, because it's hard to describe arc to people. It means right. different things to different people. But, you know, you can start with a bang at mm-hmm. the climax, or you can start chronologically and take people on the journey with you. Yeah. And so the way I would tell it if I started at the end, because that's like right before the climax, the big reveal is, oh my God, I used an Indian spice and, mm-hmm. you know, in your face. Mm-hmm. But so if I start from just before that point, and it gives it teases people that something's coming. Yeah. And now I can do the flashback and they're coming along on the journey. But that's kind of a high energy way of telling it. Mm-hmm. Or I could just do it as a very it's really nice sometimes just to go along with someone. And then I would do it the way I told it now. So so here it was. I overheard this and it's just mm-hmm. very chronological and linear. And you you build up to where, you know, that happens. Yeah. I think for most people, linear is the most intuitive, mm-hmm. chronological, makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I don't know how you feel about this, that start there. Unless you have a reason to not start chronologically, start chronologically. So I would ask you why yeah. you have a reason to not start chronologically. And you part already answered that why you Perfect. might start in the middle or the end. Sequencing to me is about energy and arc and tone. Uh, The other thing I use the story for is messaging. For me, I always decide like, what what do I want people to get out of the story? Because every story has so many messages, so Mm -hmm. many layers. Like my story here is about a mother not wanting to disappoint her child. It's about my his dual identity, right? Mm -hmm. And being an American and an Indian. It's about my dual identity, Mm -hmm. trying to be an American and Indian. And an, and an Indian and, you know, what I want to, how I want to curate his life. So I had to really carefully pick if I wanted to have the stress be on me and how I didn't let him down, mm-hmm. I delivered, then I might start at the end where, oh my God, I deliver the thing that I want to him, that he is so happy. If I want the focus to be on his perspective, I might start with the way I told the story. Right. So that that's my take on it. Uh, so some people would say, well, typically the best stories are really about one thing. Mm-hmm. You're saying it sounds like they are, but, or, and there are other things you might consider and that might influence your choices in around structure yeah. or other things. I totally agree. In fact, I think rarely is one story about one thing if you think about it Mm -hmm. there's always so much going on behind the scenes and that's the beauty of storytelling is because it comes out of it's all those thoughts that are bubbling in your head and whatever filters up at the moment that you're telling is Mm -hmm. what the story ends up being but if you're intentionally crafting a story or thinking about it I feel like it is interesting. It's it's very cathartic and very introspective to actually tease apart the strands. Yeah. So when I first told the story, I found myself thinking, well, you know, uh, when I tell it chronologically, it was nice because it felt like I was revealing my son's thought processes. But somewhere it was like, it wasn't doing it for me because what I really wanted to communicate is this push and pull, the tug of war on his side and on my side. Mm-hmm. He's trying to be a good Indian American. I'm trying to be a good mother by not forcing a culture on him. So I had, that's why I, I'm still not sure if I had to tell this for a slam or a story. To, I'm still not sure what I would choose. 
so with the evolution of this story, do you remember why you first crafted it or first put it down? Do you put it on paper or a recorder? What's your process? Um, I used to be someone who used to write first because I'm primarily a writer, mm-hmm. but I have now learned that that uh, that really restricts me. My writing style is not my speaking style, and mm-hmm. I develop what's called a page-to-stage problem. So that's a great question. I think I first wrote this when I was, or wrote, talked it out. I didn't actually write it. I spoke it. I recorded myself telling yeah. it. It's because I was getting ready for an open mic that I run for a for my group and it was themed on immigrant experiences and this had just happened recently in my life so I was thinking I can't think of a better way to represent what it means to be an immigrant in America to Mm -hmm. be assimilated into American life but also to have that core personality which is from a whole different culture and really that's why the story came up and it's good I like the way you're using I don't know if this is the right way to phrase this but you're using food it's so central to everyone's lives. It's a big part of culture. And I could see some people wanting to tackle this subject or this idea of the immigrant experience and making it this big story. Yeah. And you're approaching it more from, there's this food thing. There are these moments in our home as, as symbolic or reflective of the immigrant experience. I I think Maybe a lot of first-time storytellers have this problem that if you give yourself the task of writing an immigrant story, it can be overwhelming because you're exactly right. It's so big, right? Where do you start? Where do you finish? Every moment is an immigrant moment. And every moment is not an immigrant moment, right? Because everyone's got basically the same life. So I think to get started on a story that's actually going to be authentic and meaningful to you and your audience, because it's only meaningful to your audience if it's meaningful to you. Uh-huh. If, if you're feeling- I mean, you could fake it well, but I think you're right. For <laughs> Some people seem to be like BS pretty well, but yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think in order to be authentic and to have a story that resonates uh, sincerely, it has to be a moment that meant something to you. So um, I recently, when I was helping first-time storytellers tell stories for the South Asian Immigrant Slam, and they didn't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was asking them, I was like, Can't, one of the easiest prompts to ask yourself is, uh, like, let's say there's a theme of a show, right? And this theme was South Asian Immigrant. What is your most compelling memory? If I were to start a timer right now, and say you have 10 seconds, tell me the first memory of when you felt out of place, go. Mm. And they would just have to blurt out something. It would be five words. Then I'd say, I'm going to start the timer, 10 seconds, tell me a first example of when you felt accepted, the opposite of feeling excluded. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was your first snow like? You know, when did you first really get sad for home? Mm. When did you first feel disloyal that you were not missing home? that this new country felt like home. There are so many prompts to get you started, but that's always a better way of kind of fleshing out a story from your head. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because sometimes the theme is too wide. And I think focusing on a moment helps you tap into your emotions and your memories. And then the story pretty much writes itself, doesn't it? When did you start telling stories the way we define stories and sort of not necessarily competitively, but maybe more than just, you know, you're with your friends in the park. So I started blogging. I think it was before I had a kid that was depressed and all that 
stuff. But also here's, and maybe there's an immigrant angle to this too. I commute into downtown Boston to work. I live in the mm -hmm. suburbs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm on, I used to be on the subway and then I moved and I'm on the commuter rail. And it was a never ending source of joy to me. Mm to be part of a big city. I mean, yeah. I know you New York, but Boston's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. To be part of the thrumming life that is a subway or even a commuter rail and then getting out at my station and the five blocks I would have to walk through the concrete jungle, the people I saw, the snatches of conversation I overheard. And it was just so vibrant to me that I started writing down little things that happened every day. And I found myself writing it in a way that was instead of just being like a boring journal entry I would try and make it engaging you mm -hmm. know I maybe start with and then I heard the woman say I can't believe he didn't invite me to the foursome and she was going to say the name but I had just walked past her and I didn't know what to do do I turn back Am I a stalker? And then I might start describing the neighborhood and what the North End looks like or who else is walking by to convey the excitement I felt. Like, why did I feel excited about it, right? It's because I was catching this glimpse into someone's life and it maybe it wouldn't have been quite so memorable if I heard the whole thing. Right. It was memorable because I was like, oh, oh yeah. what happened next? So the reason I originally asked that question, I'm wondering, so for this particular story about your son and the food, you didn't need a prompt. I could argue with a slight tweak of this story, it could have nothing to do with the immigrant experience. It could be all about uh, a working mom, sure. or it could be all about uh, parenting, about how, you know, how you meet your kid halfway and you don't tell them all the, it's like when you lie to your kid about Santa Claus, it could be very parallel to that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I meant when I said, you know, you decide what message you want to convey. I said this before in an interview about storytelling that to me, nothing is only one thing. No story means one thing, mm -hmm. depending on how you think about it and how you feel about it and how you present it. It can be about many things, but you're right. Yeah, you can you can craft this in any in any way. Maybe it makes a difference that I haven't told this at a slam or a show yet. It's mainly been personal and in smaller venues. But uh, yeah, like like I said, like the, the version I just told you now is the longest one I've ever told. Mm -hmm. I usually tell a really tight one and a half two minutes of just this happened, that happened, that happened. And then I resequence it and I start at the end and then I tell it, you know. Uh, you do that intentionally to show, as specifically to show there's two ways or more to do this. Exactly. Same story starting at a different point. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes, like I, there, there are times I will start by saying, so that night at dinner, my 14-year-old son took one bite of the pot pie, stood up, and screamed, oh my God, what did you put in this? Right. And I just put down my fork and I laughed. And I laughed and I laughed and I laughed because, and then I'll go into the flashback and say, two days ago, this kid told me Indian food was overrated. And da -da 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 -da. and I might go, you know, so it might be a reverse thing. And yeah. then I'll drop the mic right at the end when I, you know, I'll bring us back full circle to today. And I'll say that uh, he, he kept asking me, but I didn't tell him because. <laughs> that it's, it's satisfying for an audience when we get back there. Like, oh, shit, yeah. we're back at that point. Yeah. I feel like if you resequence stuff, if you tell things out of order, out of chronology, then you have to do the full circle thing. Otherwise, people are just kind of lost. You have to go full circle or full circle and then through past 
Yeah. Or you'd be giving it all away. That's a really nice visual for saying it. In fact, the story you told recently Mm -hmm. about the date that didn't go well, uh, it was at the full moon slam. I remember Uh, thinking that had a super interesting arc. And I think that's what you did. You started at a point, you went forward in time, you went backward, and then you brought us to the present. And this is where I think too much crafting can rob a story. And it's a big trap with people who are either new or actors or writers. Uh The trap I think is over engineering the story. So what you just described, for instance, sounds really complex. If you give this task to a writer, you would sit down and you'd try and put some, you'd get so cerebral about it that uh, I think it could really make the whole thing fail. Right. As opposed to like what I heard you tell the story, you know, the emotions seemed like they were right. They were very, very close to your heart on the day that you were telling it. I'm not saying you were pining for that person, but the the memory of that experience was still, it was, it was throbbing and pulsing uh-huh. and you could sense it. And uh-huh. to me, that's what made the story. You of course did a really good job of crafting and pacing, but Sure. If if I if you had given that as an example to a first time storyteller who's a writer or an actor or who's not yet learned how to relax into their authentic voice, I think there's a very real risk of something like that being thoroughly over engineered and being mm-hmm. so much like an essay. And I think this is one of the hardest things to talk about when you're talking about how to craft a story is when you give people all these pointers. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they take it like a recipe book. Yeah. Or like instructions. And I'm not sure that's always a good thing. I agree with you. And I also think where it gets murky is I'm giving this person all these suggestions. And in doing so, they're losing their style and their voice. And so you don't want that. Now, I think in the process of getting better, sometimes you take a step back, right? And then you put it together and you get better. But I think you raise a very good point. And if you would permit me to flip the interview for a second, how do you do this? Because I'm encountering this as I coach people for the voices slam um, that, you know, I have a certain way I like to structure stories. And as you can see, I've put thought into a hundred different ways. I don't think my way is the only way, but I feel super conscious that when I'm telling, when somebody tells me their story and I give them feedback, I very deliberately take off my hat and don't try and retell it in my voice, but I'm terrified that I'm robbing them of their, you know, even if I say, you know, add a little more emotion there, or can you give me some details there? Or how did that make you feel? How do you avoid robbing someone of their voice when you're coaching them? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have an answer that'll be satisfying to you because it's similar. Yeah. Well, one thing I do is I'm just very transparent. And I will say, I mean, we're talking to adults. I don't want to rob you of your voice. You've got this style and I love it. However, there might be, so it's sometimes just the way I frame it. I often think I got that wrong. I could have given feedback that was clearer or tighter or more helpful or useful. Try to limit it mm-hmm. to a few things at most because that you don't want to overwhelm. No. I've tried to really get better at not, saying the positive things just because you're supposed to do a sandwich method and being like positive, like, oh, like negative, legitimately, <laughs> to legitimately be like, this is, you got to find something that's working. Not just to be nice, although nice helps, no, you're but right. like to build off of that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of their own style. I don't know though, Chandra, I'm like, I spend a good amount of time like, man, 
how do I get through to this? What do I say? How do I say it? But I think it's a good tip to say not too much. Yeah. Too much feedback can overwhelm or worse is for someone who's not very solid. It might make them question themselves. And I feel yeah. I've, I've seen it start going that way and I felt awful and I've drawn it and I've, uh, I've kind of compensated by saying, no, no, wait a minute. I, I don't like what I just said. Tell me again how you told it before, because that was really, I yeah. really like the way. And I'll, if I see it going that way, I will consciously just, spot. okay, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it, to know I'm not the only one. No, you limit it. And I think you, you are trying to be aware of certain things, for me anyway, or certain things you bring up or questions might be more important than others at this time. So if you have no idea what your story is about, that's something I'd like to address before we worry about maybe certain details in certain moments. There might be people who like the opposite and they just want to approach it differently. But for me, if you're not clear on main idea of the story or what it's about or whatever you want to call it, we kind of got to get clear on that now. Yeah. And I think one one thing that's working really interesting for me is somebody will tell me what they think is their story. And it's great. You can sniff that. You can sniff the gem inside it, but it's not quite there yet. And it's like magic. If I just ask a few questions, well, that's awesome. So where were you when that happened or how did it make you feel? And then they'll end up revealing details to me that just blow my mind. And I don't even have to say it. I'll be like, wow. And they'll be like, oh, you think I should say that? I'm like, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes just being a sounding board is half the battle won. It is. So as a storyteller working on your own thing, I'm not sure how that helps. Like I, I don't have anyone to help me no. craft my stories, but I have learned to ask myself questions. Mm-hmm. Just like I ask other people, I'll ask myself questions like, well, wait a minute. Is this the real, does this relate to like in the food story that I was telling yeah. you about? When I was talking about that special spice called randuni, I really wanted to talk about how I remember how it smelt when I was very little and we lived in Africa and my mom had a spice cabinet and I remember the smell of randuni and I didn't know what it was, but I loved the shape of it. And it was decades later that I even learned what the thing was called. Uh-huh. So for me, when I'm telling this story, when I get to the part where, oh, you know, chicken pot pie without celery is like five spice without randuni, my head wants to go in a different direction. Mm. So the first time I thought about the story, I told it to myself, I probably went off on that tangent. But then I caught myself to say, that's kind of sweet, but that doesn't serve this story. Probably doesn't serve this story. No. Those are really hard for people to let go of. It's very hard. And that's the other thing that uh, when I get people who give me really long stories that they've written out or even spoken, I'll tell them this second part you said was so beautiful. If you if they've written it down, I'll say, can you cut it and paste it in another document? Because you need to not delete it. Don't delete Mm. it. So good. Mm. You got something there. But maybe it's its own story. And it's almost like psychologically, it helps even for myself. If I've done a big brain dump and it's all emotional and it's all meaningful, instead of just deleting entire paragraphs, I have like a trash bin kind of document where I will put those paragraphs. Ah. Nine times out of 10, that turns into a story. Oh, really? It does. There's a reason why it came out. I really believe in stream of consciousness. If it came out, most of the time there's a reason why it came out. Something Mm -hmm. is 
stirring in the deep recesses of my mind. Sometimes it doesn't have enough meat to be a story all by itself. I'll have to live another 10 years to get more experiences, to get perspective on it. But do you ever find that happens to you? I'm very wary of brain dumping Mm. because I get overwhelmed. Yes. And I don't want to be overwhelmed. So I think that's why I put a lot of attention and I'm sure I do this with others because I like it of what is the story about? Because then I can start eliminating things that probably don't belong in the story. True. And sure, if I brain dumped a lot of stuff that there might be little gems hidden there that I never end up finding. But I, at the same time, I will probably just stop crafting the story because of overwhelm. And I just yeah, don't want to. So I'm like, all right. Yeah. Um, I actually have to finish the story I'm writing for that slam tomorrow night, the one you just referenced, Kurt slam. What is that called? Shit. Full moon? Oh, is that happening? Full moon tomorrow. And because I won the slam, I have to tell this first story. Mm-hmm. I don't know, my story's not done and I'm like struggling and I know why. And it's a fascinating process. If I were helping me, I'd say, what exactly is the story about? And I wouldn't be able to answer it. Yeah. I'd say, well, let's try to answer it. And then you could go back, but I'm fighting with myself. Like, I don't, it's weird. Like I'm aware of what the problem is, but I'm still fighting with it. No, that's great though. You'll get clarity, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll get clarity. It'll be fine. It'll be. Uh, you can do the little, um, the psychiatrist's couch thing that I was saying, where you time yourself. Yeah. I do that with people. 10 seconds. Tell me what's on your mind. Go. Right, it's like a right. what test. And then you'll be like, oh, yeah. that's what's <laughs> Before I hit record, I think about this story. You had said something about how it's a good tool to show people a story, to show resequencing, dramatic arc or narrative arc. You also mentioned stakes, right? Oh, yeah. What do you do in this story that builds stakes? Yeah. I actually tell the story as an example of how you can build stake even with a non-dramatic story. It's easy to think about how to build, you know, building stakes is build basically building, I take it to mean when you build tension and you build an expectation in the audience where they're, you're, you're building up to a turning point where something mm-hmm. happens, like a climax where something happens. Building stakes is where the audience is along with you on the ride and mm-hmm. they're rooting for you or they're scared for you. They're somehow engaged and you're getting them wound up so that when the peak comes, it happens. It's, it's easy to do when you have a dramatic incident. Like, you know, that story I told about when uh, my first day of school, somebody came and said that they hate my skin color because it's brown. Mm-hmm. You know, that one's, it I just have itself. to say this one sentence and the stakes are built. That's awful. You know, what's this little girl going to do to deal with this? But the story that I just told on to you, you know, the story about the food, it's a totally everyday humdrum story. So, and it's very hard to build stakes there. And I'm not sure if I did a good job in the end of really building stakes well, but here, what I tried to do is I could say this, if I said this in a monotone, this happened and then, you know, I was cooking and then I put Randhuni and I made the chicken pot pie and he really liked it. I can tell the story. In- <laughs> And we could do that, but I mean, you could do it. so respectfully. We're going to be like, okay, how is that different than daring. it? Right. But so instead, the stake building here would be it's as simple as the fact that I described what I saw inside the fridge, mm-hmm. that I described the visual of me standing in front of my fridge with the door open 
and it's completely empty. And that's the time that I, that's the point in the story that I choose to tell you it's Friday. I'm exhausted. My fridge is exhausted. The cupboard is bare. And then I actually describe the few shreds of chicken and half an onion and the wrinkled carrot that's rolling around in his drawer. So I'm standing in front of the open fridge. It's been a hell of a week. My mind is just shot. I have zero brain cells left. All I have to work with is half an onion, a few shreds of chicken left from a rotisserie chicken that we bought at the beginning of the week, and this very sad, wrinkled-looking carrot that's drawing, rolling around by itself in a vegetable drawer. And then I'm racking my brains. What do I do? I don't want takeout. It's so unhealthy. What do I feed my family? So that's a little bit of a, like, you know, you're starting to, you resonate. You're like, yeah, man, I know how that feels. Oh, sure. it sucks. That's one. Then... At that point is when I say, and I want to cook my Indian thing. I'm Indian. That's my comfort food. But no, because, oh, my goodness, I am really upset that my kid feels that way. So now you know that there's a little more pressure on me. I'm not just worried about how to turn those four ingredients into a meal. I've put more pressure on myself that it has to be an American meal. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, well, I want to make a pot pie, but how do I make a pot pie without that? And then you see me kind of spinning my wheels a little bit. And then you see my mind wandering saying, well, what is the spice again? And then I don't actually explain in that moment that that Randhuni Indian spice is actually celery seed. Right. I just say, and then I got it and I cook my food and then I cut straight to that night at dinner. So that is, it, it's, it's, the story is really about nothing. If you think about it, it's a nothing story. It's a story about, it, it's so it's so symbolic of working parenthood. It's a story about how I cooked yet another dinner when I was tired and I had no ingredients. Mm -hmm. But you can build steaks by, in, in this one, I built steaks by revealing to you, the audience, what was on my mind. What was at stake for me? Literally, what was at stake for me? At stake was cooking a family dinner that would be good for my family using the ingredients I had. Mm -hmm. But also at stake was being fair to my dual identity child. I'm not stressing him out. And hopefully I could communicate this without saying it, without a trite little fortune cookie wisdom thing saying, duh, 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 duh. does that make sense? Yeah. It makes me think of a couple of things. The way you were describing building stakes, you're also doing something else because in part of what you were doing was taking us into how you were feeling about a certain moment, what you were thinking. And it, it does something else. And this just came up with Maria as well. A lot was you build relatability, you add relatability because we get into your human brain. And so maybe your kid's younger and maybe you're not from that country, but you know, frustration or, you know, whatever it is that you're going through, like that comes through too. That's why a reason I think it's, huh? Why do I feel connected to that story? Even though I'm not from that part of the world and I don't even have a kid like, oh, but the way it was conveyed, crafted and conveyed, yeah. I feel like we have this thing in common. She understands what it's like to be blah, 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 whatever, right? Right. That's Absolutely. huge. That's a, that's a really good point. And when I'm coaching people, I'll often say, like, you know, give me that detail. Tell me where you were in your life. What were you wearing? What did it smell like? Mm. You know, what were your thoughts? Because, and, and a lot of the time, it is very personal and it's very... You put yourself out there. You make yourself vulnerable by sharing parts of yourself. But that's where at, at the beginning of this talk, I was saying that authenticity to me is everything. Mm -hmm. If it isn't meaningful to you, if you are not telling us something that is uniquely you, 
than me as an audience, I won't relate. And that's what I find. I love listening to storytelling. And I, I have this very, very cynical thought, like belief that there is no, there's nothing called a new story. Every story has been told. And mm -hmm. I, I write too, I write short fiction. It's not published yet, but in my writing too, I believe that there is no story that has not been told. They're mm -hmm. all variations of a few basic themes. Yeah. The only thing that makes it unique is voice, a writer's style, yeah. and a storyteller's style, and those unique details that make you you. And if you leave them out, for whatever reasons, it falls sometimes, often will fall a little bit flat, or you need to rely on other things like these bigger external thing like, whoa, that crazy thing happened. You can yeah. get away with it because the event itself is exceptional, but you know, when you get into the internal stuff, your voice, boy, you have so many stories you could tell them. Someone who wasn't involved, it doesn't necessarily have to be storytelling, but in that, using that part of the brain might go through what you went through and never see a story there. And you saw a story there. You're right. One of the things that has always been a, a negative for me that is positive now because of, because I found storytelling is I notice a lot of little moments in life. I've always been like that. I notice things that everything means a lot to me. I'm very easily pleased. Everything means a lot to me. And I do understand that it's harder for people who just don't think of something as being an event. And you're right. That's a unique challenge. But uh, I think anybody who steps up and even thinks of doing storytelling, hopefully has already taken the first step along that. But you're right. Getting people to say that I hear people tell me all the time, oh, I don't have stories to tell. And I'm like, I promise you, you wow. have about a thousand. You just don't know what, you just don't know what's the story. You think that mm -hmm. it's only a story if you almost die mm -hmm. or if you, you have a superhero moment. Mm -hmm. Ooh, getting your coffee order in the morning can be a story if it meant something to you, if it led you to realize something sure. or if it led you to an emotion. You still have some awareness of as you walk through life, navigate the world and you know that you're going to take some of these experiences and make stories so are you ever in an experience you know you're going to make it a story and then you actually change what happens in the experience a little bit and maybe it's also because you know it's going to be even a stronger story if it ends that way so you, like you differently than it might have naturally ended you are so mean to point this out <laughs> Everybody I can't believe no. you're putting me on the spot. No, I, but I have thought about it. I haven't done it yet, but yeah, there's totally that awful out of body experience, right? Yeah. You feel like something's happening and you kind of, you're like, Ooh, I wonder if this would make a good story. No. I don't yeah. think I've consciously done that yet. Although who knows, right? Right. Yes. Well, That's you probably know consciously, but we all do things less than conscious that who knows. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you would, a tip you would give, let's assume it's probably someone who's a little greener, so to speak. And we've talked about a few things and they're all really good. Wow, mm -hmm. I think you've gotten me to think so much about this. I, I said a lot of stuff that I don't think I'd ever articulated myself. If I ever get to the point where I'm actually telling a story with a, with a wide audience, I don't do it unless I'm able to reach down into myself and find some degree of faith that the story matters. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm going down to, you don't even have to think very critically about what is the message of the story, but I kind of do. I kind of think about if I tell the story, how might it affect change someone? Mm. 
or touch someone. So mm -hmm. the story about my non-story about the way I cook pot pie, to me, I would share that because I have faith that people might get a very small, teeny glimpse into what it means to be part of two cultures, about the fact that my son said that little comment and about the fact that I bent over backwards to deliver this and the sweet little redemption that it came using an Indian spice. Even though this is essentially a non-story, it's not a very exciting, it's not a very impactful story. The reason I would share this over a lot of other dramatic stories I have in my bag would be that if this was in a lineup of stories, this is not one that would haunt people. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping it would inform them subconsciously in the back of their mind. So, and that's why I think it's there is no such thing as a small story. There's just different moods of story. There's dramatic, mm -hmm. big attention-grabbing stories, and there are small, small moments. But mm -hmm. you have to have faith that the small moments, they do count. Everything touches people, changes them, right? Even in the big stories, it's the small moments that I think for me typically land. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I think that would be my summary. Believe in the story. Believe in you yourself and believe in the story. As always, thanks so much for listening and your support. Special thanks to Chandre in Boston, Massachusetts. Remember, this Sunday, an open mic, the Mental Health Happiest Hour. Next Sunday, another 99-second story slam. And next week, we also have a beginner's class starting. Would love to see you at any one of those, or maybe all of them. That is all for episode number 23. Boom.